Well, guys, welcome to RUF as I do a little rearranging and remodeling. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the campus minister, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, um, I'd love to meet you. Really glad you're here. Uh, one of the things that we've said before and we'll say again about RUF is that um, it's a place where you can come and rest in the gospel. And one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that the gospel says is that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And so I just want to invite you into, into that tonight and to hopefully rest in it. Um, tonight, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4, the passage that Leah just read for us. And uh, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in this sermon series, which we're calling Our Ancient Future Hope for Today. And tonight, we're kind of turning the corner in this series because Paul turns a corner in his letter. And up until now, you can kind of summarize the first three chapters as Paul going over um, what is true about the gospel. Um, and now he's kind of turning the corner and he's telling us, well, what, what do you do with the gospel? Or another way to put it is, he started with the gospel indicatives and now he's turning to the gospel imperatives. And even as Paul starts telling these Thessalonians how to live and how to behave, he does so as a tender, loving parent. I want to just show you two ways. For first, for example, uh, loving parents they they seek not to just call out and correct bad behavior in their kids, but they try to actively reinforce good behavior in their kids as well. Um, this is something that my wife Amanda does really well with our daughters, just acknowledging like good choices, affirming good choices. And we actually see Paul doing that even in in verse ten in our passage. Um, encouraging the Christians to do what they've been doing, to love one another more and more. He's acting like a tender, loving parent. Not only that, another example, tender, loving parents talk to their kids about sex. And so uh, that's what we see Paul doing here. And just as like a disclaimer, uh, we're going to be talking about sex tonight. Um, so, but uh, before you guys get too excited or... <laughs> Uh, before you go, like, try to find that rock to hide under, we're not going to be spending the whole talk uh, on sex tonight, just the first part. So um, hopefully that puts you at ease. Um, and I also just want to say, if, if you hear anything tonight that raises a question or series of questions or raises a concern or series of concerns in your mind, uh, come talk to me. I'd, I'd love to, to hear from you. Talk to Maddie. Talk to Eric. Um, the last thing we any of us would want to see happen is, you know, you hear something and it, it really stirs something up in you and and then we don't see you or hear from you, you know, the rest of the semester. And just like, what happened? Well, you know, something they heard was really hurtful or, you know, confusing. Would hate for that to be the case, not trying for that to be the case. But, um, yeah, all that to say, we'd love to love to talk with you. So, um, okay. All the disclaimers aside, uh, let's, um, let's pray together, and then we can jump into this passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I ask that you would, you would speak um, tonight to us as a tender, loving parent. Um, Father, you promise not to break a bruised weed, reed or to quench a smoldering wick, um, and so... Um, call upon you to be true to your promise and ask that you would meet us here tonight with your grace, uh, with your mercy, with your loving kindness, 
uh, as we study this portion of your word. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, practically as soon as she started to walk, my daughter Emma wanted to run. And um, it was one of these situations where maybe you've been around a toddler learning to walk, but where they, um, you know, they kind of, they push you aside, like, mom, dad, I'm done with you. I got this. I can do this on my own. And they do that like toddler thing where they kind of just like their upper body leans forward and their legs try to catch up with them. And so this is, this is our daughter, Emma. Some of you have met her. As soon as she started to walk, she wanted to run. With complete disregard for any obstacles that could trip her up, um, with you know complete disregard for me or Amanda, like she just wanted to prove she's got this, and so you can imagine how this unfolds. Inevitably, uh, this little person uh, bumps into some piece of furniture, trips on some toy that she left out earlier in the day, um, and ends up instead of proudly grinning over her you know pr- her running prowess. Uh, she's in, you know, spilled on the floor in just a, a basket of tears, um, having no fun because she's bumped her knee, skinned her knee, what have you. When Paul calls on Christians to walk, like he does in our passage, you could see in verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. As Paul calls on us to walk, a lot of us, I think, are more like my daughter Emma than we care to admit. Walk? <laughs> That's so pedestrian. Why walk when you can run? Right? Like, I mean, especially especially here at Davidson, um, we love to let people see, like, I got this. Right? I mean... Um, some of the, the two most dreaded words, I think, on this campus are group project. Strikes fear and anxiety into the heart of all of us, right? Group project. I don't want someone else's work to affect you know, my ability to show what I've got, right? I think we've all got a little bit of, of that toddler wanting to prove herself or himself than we care to admit. We want to prove to everyone, I've got this. And so off we go not paying any attention to any of the obstacles, any of the dangers out there that might trip us up. But what we need to see, what we need to remember is that the biblical command is not that we would go and run for Jesus and show him what we got and show everyone else what we got, but that we would walk in him, that we would walk in Jesus, that we'd walk in Christ. And it's a command that doesn't just come up here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul mentions it in other letters too. In Romans 6, uh, he calls Christians to walk in the newness of life that they've received in Christ. Uh, in another Paul of Paul's letters in Ephesians 5, he calls on believers to walk as children of light. It's a command that comes up time and time again throughout the Bible. And so really the question that I want to put before us tonight is what does it look like to walk as a Christian. How are we supposed to walk? And Paul, Paul really gives us three ways. Those are the three points in your outline. We're to pursue holiness, we're to love the church, and we're to win the respect of outsiders. So we're just going to take these one at a time, and let's just jump right in, and, and let's see how we're called to pursue 
holiness. Uh, a number of years ago, I was actually listening to a sermon that Sinclair Ferguson gave on this passage. Sinclair Ferguson, older, much wiser pastor, been around the block many times, uh, seminary professor, wonderful Scottish accent. Um, but he was just reflecting on decades of pastoral ministry. And in the sermon, he said, lots of, he's like, I've noticed, and I'm not going to do the Scottish voice, so um, I don't have one. He said, lots of Christians struggle with God's will and make it more complicated than it is. And I was like, okay, you've got my attention. Lots of, lots of Christians struggle with God's will and make it more complicated than it is. Then he says, it's not complicated. It's like, okay. It's not complicated. His will is that you would be holy. And just like, mic drop, like, that's it. Like, here you have it, just black and white. God's will is that you would be holy. And this isn't just something that he came up with on his own. He's actually reflecting what Paul, what the Bible teaches. So look with me in our passage at verse 3. There, there you see it. Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And um, you don't have it in your handouts, but if you had in, a, in an English translation of the Bible, there'd probably be a footnote next to that word, sanctification. And my ESV has um, a footnote that says, or your holiness. So this is the will of God, your holiness. And the reason for the footnote is because the Greek word there is the same Greek word that gets repeated two times in the next four verses. In verse four, he goes on to say that so that each one of you might know how to control his own body in holiness. It's the same word repeated. And then he says it again in verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So clearly, here's God's will that you would pursue holiness, that you would grow in holiness. And that word, that might be unfamiliar to some of you, especially if you didn't grow up in the church, but to be holy or holiness, um, basically, it, it, it means to be set apart to be kind of another biblical word, maybe, maybe not so helpful, but to be consecrated, to be set apart as pure. That's what this Greek word for holiness means. So God wants your life to grow in this set-apartness, this consecratedness, this, this purity. And really a good question to ask is, well, well what does that look like? And so if we were to ask that of Paul and ask that of the text, Paul, what does this look like to pursue holiness? In verses 3 through 7, Paul essentially says it looks like following the Christian sex ethic. In verse 3, he says, uh, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And the word there is the Greek word porneia, which refers to any form of sexual sin, any sin outside of the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. So this would include adultery, this would include fornication, prostitution, pornography. It kind of covers the whole gamut. Then he goes on in verse 4 and says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. In verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So we need to control our sexual urges and desires and not be filled with lust, with lustful thoughts. 
why does Paul single out this one area of life as the example to pursue holiness? I mean, it's not the only way that we pursue holiness. So why does he focus in on this one particular facet of life? And I I really think there's two reasons. There's probably more than two reasons, but I want to give us two reasons. The first is that this was a very real, very present struggle for those Greek Christians that he was writing to. The, The new recent converts to Christianity in Thessalonica, in that ancient Greek city, they they would have been used to all sorts of sexual immorality, sexual sins. Like, that's just the culture. That was the air that they breathed. Um, you know, for example, at that time in ancient Greece, I'll just give you one example. Um, it was understood that men uh, didn't just need a wife, but needed multiple additional uh, mistresses in order for their sexual desires to be fulfilled. That was the norm. And so Paul is writing to these recent converts out of that lifestyle to say, hey, this is how you pursue holiness. Follow Christ, even with your sex life. So it's a very present struggle for those Greek Christians that Paul is writing to. And then secondly, the other reason I think why Paul highlights this particular area is that Jesus called any and all who would follow him to holiness in this area. If you remember his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached, in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus goes through the, a list of Old Testament laws. And he, you, you might remember the pattern. He, he, would, he would start by saying, you have, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so he would take an Old Testament law, you have heard it said this, and then he would actually intensify it and make it not just some external action, but an internal heart disposition. He says, I say to you. And so when he, when he came, when Jesus came to the seventh commandment, you have heard it said, you know, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus intensifies it and says, but I say to you, anyone who has looked upon a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So these, I, I would say, were the two reasons, or at least two reasons that Paul gives, or Paul would give, and it's interesting, I think they both apply to us today. I think, I think if we're honest, uh, this wasn't just a present struggle for ancient Greeks. This is a present struggle for all of us in this room to maintain holiness in our, in our sexual, with our sexuality. But then also, the call that Jesus gave to his initial disciples <coughs> We receive it. We inherit it. It's not just for the first people that listen to Jesus. It's for us as well. And so before we move on, I just want to ask, what does it look like to follow Jesus in pursuing holiness with our sexuality here at Davidson? And I would say for most of us, for most of us in this room, it it looks like abstinence. And that's not because sex is bad and needs to be avoided but it's because sex is good, really good and really powerful. And so um, it needs to be, sex is something that needs to be expressed in its proper context, a monogamous, faithful marriage between a man and a woman. And so if we were to say that, um, if we were to say that we should free 
sex from the restriction of a marriage in order to be able to express ourselves. It, it can't just be isolated to marriage. If we were to say, gosh, we got we to gotta unshackle sex, remo- remove it from that context so that, it, so that we would free it. It would be like a fish saying that he needs to be free from the restriction of water. The only context, the only place where that fish survives and not only survives but flourishes is in that environment of water, just like the only place where our sexuality really thrives and flourishes is in that safe environment, that environment that it was made for in marriage. And so if you're thinking, if you're sitting here with thinking, okay, that's the Christian sex ethic, that's what Jesus calls us to, well, I'm a lost cause. If you're thinking, gosh, I'm, I mean, I've already blown it. Um, I was sexually active before I became a Christian. Or I've been sexually active since I became a Christian. What, what hope is there for me? Is it too late? What, you know, what, what use am I? If, if, that's, if that's you, if you're wondering about that, I would say that there's no sin, there's no transgression that Jesus' blood can't cleanse. You might have grown up in a church, maybe you haven't, but um, you might have heard a hymn with the line, uh, His blood can make the foulest clean, His blood availed for me. And I would also say, if God can turn a sex addict into the father of Western Christianity, like he did with Augustine, St. Augustine, then he can overcome and even use your tattered sexual past. That's the good news of the gospel. Or if you're thinking, gosh, this is something that I'm struggling with right now. It's something that's going on in my life and in my heart right now. What do I do? The hope for those of us in that situation is that this this call to sexual purity and holiness, it's for the entire Christian community. All the yous in this passage, you've probably heard me say this before, but all the yous in this passage are plural. It's not just calling on you as an individual, he's calling on the whole community to follow this sex ethic. And so the reason I highlight that is just to say you're not alone. If you're struggling with this, you've got brothers and sisters that are, th- that are supposed to be there for you to help you to follow this call together. We're to, we're to follow this call as a community as a body. And that's also where you can turn to find help, body of Christ. Okay, sex talk, done. <laughs> we're going to move on. Um, so we, we considered how we're called to walk in such a way that we pursue holiness. But we're also called, Paul also calls us to love the church. If you look at verse 9, he says, Paul says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And and that word for brothers can, can mean brothers and sisters, but basically what he's getting at is, look, your love for your siblings in the faith is is renowned. It's heard throughout all of Macedonia Keep on keeping on. Keep on with that good thing. Keep loving one another so well. Um, 
in college, I had, um, oh, sorry, let me back up here. Um, he, 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 encourages, he encourages the Thessalonians to love the family of faith, brothers and sisters in the faith. One of the most encouraging things that I've seen since um, coming to, to serve you all as your campus minister is the love that many of you all have for the church. Now, I've, I've heard of your love for Lake Forest, for Good Shepherd, for Nor- North Cross, I've heard how much you appreciate the the teaching and the worship. I've heard how much you love to give back and to serve in your local church, to serve with the children's ministry and the nursery. I've heard how you've loved getting to know believers in different ages and stages. And that is just so encouraging. And and like Paul, I just want to say, keep it up. Keep on loving the church. That is what we're called to. That is how we are. Uh, to walk. I mean, Jesus even said to his disciples in John chapter 13, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. The love that we have for the church shows that we are following Christ. And so one of the things that I want to share is that the, the goal of RUF is not that you would fall in love with RUF. The goal of RUF is not that you would love RUF, but that you would come to love the church. And I think a much better kind of barometer of whether the Lord is blessing our ministry or whether whether there's fruit here is not how many people are showing up to a large group. It's not how many people are coming to Bible studies, as great as that is, but it's 5, 10, 15 years from now, how many of us are actively involved in and engaged in the church, how many of us love the church and are growing in our love for the church. So we don't necessarily want RUF just to be that place where you hang out with your friends, but that place where you can grow in the knowledge and the love of Christ and his bride, the church. So we walk um, in Jesus by pursuing holiness We walk in him by loving the church. And then lastly, we walk by winning the respect of outsiders. That's the last thing that Paul mentions in verses 11 and 12. He says, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. I want to tell you about two friends of mine. One is a friend from college who... um, who, who worked incredibly hard while he was a student here at Davidson. Um, he worked hard at his schoolwork, at his studies, and he also worked hard at relationships. He was really generous with his time. He made time for others. Um, and he just, he did really well, um, not to rub it in anyone else's face, but just out of his own, um, out of his own faith and convictions, he, he wanted to work hard, work unto the Lord. Had another friend, also um, also a Christian, um, it's a, an RUF intern friend, um, and I remember like whenever we would go to I don't know if Maddie and Eric if you guys have friends like this, but whenever we would go to uh, intern training, he would always be like asking for rides to places, but never the one to give rides. And then like when we would go out to eat, he'd like conveniently have left his 
you know, debit card back at the hotel and always be asking to borrow money or for someone to cover him and never paying back. And like, if it happens once or twice, I mean, everyone makes that mistake once or twice, but this is like every single training. And it just was apparent like, man, you're a mooch. (laughs) There's like, there's like no way around it. Like you're a great guy and all, but man, you're a mooch. So both of these friends, friends from college, friends from the internship, they're both professing Christians. But between the two of them, which do you think a non-Christian would have more respect for? Paul is saying here, we're to work hard, we're to live quietly. We're to win the respect of non-Christians. And that it's, it's as applicable now as it was then. I mean, if you think about today how Christians are portrayed, like in TV or in movies, like you think of Ned Flanders, or you think of like Angela from The Office, like they're not portrayed as these hardworking, quiet living people, but like these annoying, dumb busybodies, right? Um, We actually, we need to let our lives preach the gospel. We need to let our lives show that we, we ultimately serve a loving, gracious, heavenly Father, and not men. And so we do that here at a place like Davidson by really giving ourselves to our work. Not, not because we're enslaved to our work, but because we can serve the Lord in it. This is our calling while we're here at Davidson to, to study and to learn. And, and not only that, but we can apply Paul's words to us by, by not really paying attention to how others are doing, as in, what grades are they getting? What's their GPA? Okay, what's my GPA? Like, we just, we don't need to do that. Just mind our own business, work hard, work unto the Lord, give ourselves to others, win the respect of outsiders. Okay, so I started by asking, how do we walk? And I hope that we've seen, Paul's given us three ways. We walk by pursuing holiness, loving the church, and winning the respect of outsiders. But that only answers half of the how question. That answers the like, how as in what do you do? What actions do you do? It doesn't answer the other half of the how question, which is with what power can I do this? By what motivation can I do this? And I think that might actually be the more important question to ask. Because even if we know how to walk, like I do this, I do that, and I do that, if we're doing that in our own power or out of really any other motivation than gratitude for the Lord, if we're doing it to try to earn something, earn reputation, earn his favor, then we're actually worse off than if we hadn't even tried any of this stuff. What I'm saying is Christianity is not, it's not about demonstrating to God You can walk just fine without him. Thank you very much. But Christianity is actually the opposite. Christianity is acknowledging to the Lord that you can't take a single step without him. That's why in verse 8, Paul says that whoever disregards this, whoever disregards what I'm saying, that this command to pursue holiness, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. In other words, what Paul's saying is we can't even take the very first baby step of faith 
apart from God at work in us by his Holy Spirit. It's not possible. Um, Emma and even Cora, our, our two girls, they didn't learn how to walk on their own. They had their parents, they had me and Amanda, with them every step of the way. They had, the, they had us with them before them, behind them, and beside them to encourage them and to empower them to put one foot in front of the other, to get back up when they fall down. If anything that you've heard tonight, if any of these words from Scripture, if any of my words have been challenging to you, if they've convicted you, I want you to hear that if you're a believer in Jesus, then know that he has given you his own spirit. He has given you his own spirit, the Holy Spirit, to walk not just before you, not just behind you, not just beside you, but to walk inside of you, to empower you to do everything that, he's, that the Lord has commanded you from the inside out. The same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is giving you power to obey his call and his command. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this walk that he has called us to walk, he's actually empowering us to walk it by the spirit that he has given to us. And so whether Jesus comes back a thousand years from now or tomorrow, until then, let's walk in the spirit. Let's keep in step with the spirit. Let's walk in the light as he is in the light. Would you pray with me?